love the book of James. I, I like the book of James because it's black and white. It's what you see is what you get. It is a matter of, uh, I'm going to say these things and by the inspiration of God, and I hope that you like them. If you don't, they're truth. And, and we're not going to get that blunt today, but I am going to use a couple of verses to preach a message that I've entitled The Big Picture. And uh, I want to see if you can follow along. In fact, uh, then we'll go back and read a, an entire verse together. James chapter 1, and the Bible says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see that verse 17? That is a very important verse in the Bible. And I want to see if we can read it out loud uh, together. Uh, verse 17, you may want to put it up there, Brother Dave. Thank you. Verse 17, ready? Begin. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And I want to pray one more time this morning. Heavenly Father, I yield myself to you now again, Lord Jesus, and I ask that you just help me to be emptied. Help me to be a clean vessel, Lord, that I would be able to be filled with your spirit, that you would just use me as your mouthpiece. Lord, I hope that you'd help. I pray that you'd help me just to get out of your way, and Lord, that in this message that you would be glorified, uh, that your people would be encouraged. Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you would forgive and help our unbelief. And Lord, I pray again that our hearts would not be hardened today, but they would be soft and open. Uh, Lord, when you saved us, you took our heart of stone and you gave us a heart of flesh. You clothed us in salvation wedding garments. And now, Lord, we stand before you just as if we've never sinned. And God, that's a high and holy privilege that we could come boldly under the throne of grace, that we should obtain uh, grace and mercy to help in our time of need. And no doubt there are many needs represented by the people in this room. And so I pray in the name of Christ that you would, that you would meet those needs today. And Father, I pray, uh, Lord, that you would just bind Satan and by the blood of Christ that you'd rebuke him today and that you would keep him from distracting us and stealing the holy seed of your word. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know about you, but my favorite holiday is the Thanksgiving holiday, and I love really every aspect of it. I love the kids coming home. You know, you hate when they leave, right? They grow up and they leave. They break your heart, and you're like, wow, this is awful. I raised you for all this time. You don't even care about me anymore. You just leave. Uh, but it's awesome when they come back. It really is, especially with grandkids. I'm learning that very quickly. Um, I love every aspect of Thanksgiving. I really do. I love the amazing food. And of course, you knew I was going to say that. But I also love the fellowship around the food and sharing hearts of gratitude with each other and the Lord. Truly, I believe that's what real fellowship is. And I, I believe that that's what the, one of the blessings that God's given to us is what happens around the table when we share food together, when we uh, if you'll allow me use an old-fashioned Acts chapter 2 term, when we break bread together and we go from house to house and we fellowship, I think that's something that I look forward to. I know that it is. I, I love that. I love hearts that are sharing of their gratitude to the Lord. As much as I love to hear people lift their gratitude to God, I believe that God loves it more. I really believe he does. I believe that God enjoys our thanksgiving. I think when God hears us from our hearts, humbly grateful for all that he is and all that he has done for us, I believe that his heart rejoices. I believe that it would be kin 
to when your child or someone that you love comes to you and sincerely says, I just want to thank you for what you've done for me. How that makes you feel because of your effort. How that makes you feel because of your love. I, I have to believe that God enjoys our thanksgiving when it's from our heart. For the next couple of weeks as we come together around God's word, I want us to concentrate on how blessed we really are and then offer up our thanksgiving to the great God who made heaven and earth, as the Bible declares, beside who there is no other. This morning's message is entitled The Big Picture because I think often we get too low to the ground. What I mean by that is I think we get so involved in the day-to-day responsibilities of our lives that we forget to pull up and we forget to take the inventory of all that God has done for us and given to us. Now, don't get me wrong. God is very interested in the details. And we'll talk about those next week and the weeks following. But this morning, I want us to pull up and I want us to overlook the greater landscape of our lives. And here, and, and here's the reason why. Because at times when we're down in the rut of our schedule, when we're down in the ditch of our responsibilities, so to speak, uh, when we're uh, when we're in the trench of our trial, when our hearts are failing of the grace of God, as the Bible says, we need to find something to be thankful for. And trust me when I say there is always something to be thankful for. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter the state of your life today as you walked in this room. The fact of the matter is there is always something to be thankful for. So let's take some inventory this morning and see what God has given to us. And then I want us just to offer our thanksgiving to the Lord. The Bible calls them the sacrifice of our praise, even our thanksgiving unto God. And so first of all, let's just consider, number one, life as we know it. Just our life. What I mean is I want you to consider how you actually came not only to be, but the state of your being. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1, before Notice this phrase, I formed you in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Psalm 139 verse 14 reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now the wonderful part about that is the word fearfully means in an awesome way. And you may not think, what, me? I've been made in an awesome way? Actually, yes. Uh, In fact, the Bible says fearfully and wonderfully. The word wonderfully means in a distinct and a unique way, different from anything else in creation. That means that you are one of a kind. Uh, we, we like to, you know, think in terms of people that we're familiar with. So you see someone and you say, oh, that reminds me of so-and-so. And we kind of have our minds kind of fit that mold into, well, that, or, or you, maybe you've met somebody and they say, man, you must have a twin because I, I could, I could honestly swear that I saw you in such and such a place. Well, the fact of the matter is, even if you are an identical twin, you're still unique. You're the only one like you. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Every baby born in this world is a creation of God. Made uniquely for people to be in awe of who he is. And, and, and just think about your body just for a minute. Biologically speaking, how amazing God has created you. Talk about details. If, if all of your senses are working normally, let me just give you some facts about your, your body as God made it. Did you know that you can feel on your fingertips or on your face a pressure that depresses your skin bare at point zero 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 fourth of an inch? You can feel that. That's how awesome God made you. Did you know that on a clear night and a clear dark night that you can see a single candle flame 30 miles away? Did you know that you can walk into a three-bedroom room and if there is one drop of perfume diffused, you can smell it? 
Did you know that you can taste 0.04th of an ounce of table salt dissolved in 530 quarts of water? Did you know that the, the, the weight of a bee's wing, now think about this, falling on your cheek from less than a half an inch, you can feel that. Do you know why? Because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you know that you can gauge the direction of a sound's origin based on a three one hundred thousandth of a second difference in its arrival from one ear to the other? Did you know your femur bone is the largest bone in your body? Did you know that it is stronger than steel per square inch because your femur can support 30 times the normal weight of your body? That's your femur bone. Did you know that if a human's DNA, uh, were a human being's DNA were uncoiled, that it would stretch 10 billion miles? That's from here to Pluto and back, and Pluto's not even a planet anymore. Did you know that? Did you know that the human eye can distinguish between 10 million different colors? Did you know your fingerprint is one of a kind? Did you know your retina scan is one of a kind? Did you know that in an adult human, the blood circulates 12,000 miles a day? This is like traveling from east to west across the widest part of the Pacific Ocean every single day. Did you know that in your lifetime that your heart will be three, I'm sorry, three billion times, three billion times. Now, I say all that to say this. Not only are you fearfully and wonderfully made, but here's something you don't normally think about. Your blood pumps, your air, your lungs filled with air, and you are alive because of God. Period. He alone sustains that heartbeat. He alone fills your lungs with air. He alone made sure that you got up this morning. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 17, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. In fact, the Bible says in Job chapter 12, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all of mankind. Colossians 1, 17 says, by him all things consist. You and I are alive today and we have life because it's a gift from God, according to the Bible. Acts 1 and verse, I'm sorry, Hebrews 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, who being the brightness of his glory, speaking of Jesus Christ and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, just like God brought the sun up over the horizon today and the moon last night, just like God that spoke all of the stars into creation. He's the one that got you out of bed today. So you know, it was the alarm. Well, that alarm may have woke you up, but the fact that you stayed alive all night long, Belongs to the hand of a very gracious God. Man, when you, when you think of it that way, it kind of helps you to say, you know what, God, I'm, I've been fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And the fact that I'm still that way means that I'm so thankful. Did you thank him for your life today? I'm just talking about your physical being. God, thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that I'm alive. Now look. The fact of the matter is, for the Christian, the alternative is much better. So we shouldn't dread dying. But we also should not dread living. God's given you life. That's something to be thank you for. God, thank you for life. Thank you for life today. Thank you for my life. Not only has he given us life, secondly, he's given us a very good life. A very good life. Now, the life that we live is a good life. We have our health this morning. You say, well, yeah, I'm ailing. It could be worse. You could not have enough health to be in church today. So, well, yeah, my foot hurts. Well, you could be like one of the veterans that I saw, and he doesn't have a foot anymore. Well, but I, I, I don't have 
full use of my, well, you could be like some other people who don't have any use of anything. The fact is, he's given you help this morning. Let's go beyond that. Let's talk about the freedoms to speak. Let's talk about the freedoms to assemble this morning, the freedom and the right to bear arms, the freedom to move freely in this country from state to state. We live in a country that the vast majority of the people in the world would love to live in. We also have more than most of the people in the world. In fact, they tell me statistically that if you make $41,000 a year, you're in the top 3% of the world's earners. In fact, they tell me that in 1980, uh, 15% of Americans made over $100,000 a year. Now, it's one in three. 30% of Americans make more than $100,000 a year. You know what the average wage, uh, wages annually in Mexico and in Chile? $7,000. 7,000. By the way, they have to go to work. They get paid. They go to the grocery store to buy food, and that's how they're sustained. They don't go to the grocery store and have to complain that the shelves are bare. They have to live day by day. I'm just simply saying we have a lot in this life that we have to be thankful for, and it is a good life. God has given us a place to sleep. He's given you a bed. He's given you a place with heat. He's given us food to eat, all kinds of food. I've mentioned that twice now. Clothes to wear. You know you have an abundance when you have more clothes than you do hangers. Right? Mom, dad goes out, mom or dad, somebody goes out to do laundry, and she calls out to our kids, I need hangers! And we go and say, mom, we got no hangers. Well, there's hangers somewhere. You know you have an abundance when you have more clothes then you do hangers. Most of us will spend Thanksgiving with people we love and see some others over Christmas. Where we'll probably eat some more food and share some more memories and laugh and then cry when they leave. God's been so good. If you got a hug this morning, God's been good. If you smiled today for any reason, God gave you that reason to smile. That's that's the good life. Can, can I say it this way, letter A? We have a good life because we have a good God. We have a good life because we have a good God. Psalm 27, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 33 and verse 5, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see, say it with me, that the Lord is good. Psalm 85, 12, yea, the Lord shall give that which is good. The fact of the matter is, Anything and everything, all of it in our lives that we have that is good at all is because we have a good God. That's the blessing that we have today. And we've got to count them. And the fact is, look, yes, we're wealthy. And yes, we have all this stuff. But do you know what God gave it to us? He gave it to us to enjoy. Listen, not to trust. The Bible says in 1 Timothy six seventeen, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor, listen, trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us all things richly to enjoy. There's a huge difference there. There are people that have things, and they have them, and they learn to trust in those things. This is what I work for. This is what the ledger says. This is what's all around me, and that's their trust. Paul said to Timothy, warn those people. Because those things are uncertain. What you need to do is trust in God. Why? Because he is most certainly good. The fact of the matter is, we have a good life because we have a good God. Yeah, but you don't know all that I'm going through. Stop. Pull up. 
Look at the life that you have just for a moment and think to think to yourself, you know what? I could be in a hospital room this morning. I could be paralyzed. I could be dying of cancer. There's a myriad of things. And yet here you are sitting on a padded seat, listening to the word of God preached in a country that is far greater than any country in this world. We have a good life because we have a good life, a good God. Secondly, we have a better life because God is gracious. We have a better life because God is gracious. Would you, would you, would you turn back, if you will, just for a moment to the book of Ephesians? And I want to read a healthy portion of scripture here this morning, and I want you to think of the Christian life. And of course, if you're here and you're not born again, then right now I'm not talking to you, but I am talking to those who are saved. We have a better life because God is gracious. Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I want you to see chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened. That word means made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worked in the children of, of disobedience. That's, that's, that's where you were in time past. Before you got saved you didn't care what God said. You didn't care what the will of God was. You didn't care what the Bible said. You didn't care what the preacher said. You didn't care what Christians were doing. Why? Because the Bible says that you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, according, notice, the course of this world. You went along with the current. But notice verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. And then he defines it a little more. And the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. And we're by children, uh, by nature, as we were born, the children of wrath, even as others. Notice the next two words, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. The fact of the matter is we have a better life as Christians. Because God is a gracious God. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. What is that? A much better life than I had it before I was, before I was saved. God makes life better because he's given the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Does that excite you? Does it excite you that because Jesus died, one day you'll be whole. One day your sin will be completely gone. One day there'll be no more sorrow. One day there'll be no more heartache. One day there'll be no more pain. That is no more broken bones, no more ailments, no more tears. All things will be made new again. We shall be like him. Why? Because God is gracious. That's why. When I was dead. God loved me and he died for me. Why? So I didn't have to stay dead forever. The gift of eternal life is what makes our life so much better. When someone accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, their life is better. Why? Because they're no longer lost. 
They've been found. They're no longer blind. They can see. They're no longer dead. The Bible says that they've been made alive. Their sin no longer separates them from God. Death no longer has its chains around their neck. They no longer walk with the condemnation of God's wrath on their heart. Why? Because they're saved by grace. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Why is my life so much better? Not just good. Why is it so much better? Because God has been gracious to me. I no longer have to be separated. I no longer have to walk around with that burden of condemnation on my heart. I don't have to walk around like I'm a slave to sin. I can stand upright at the judgment seat of Christ because of his grace and love and mercy on my life. That, my friend, is what makes the Christian life so much better. The Bible says in John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I keep my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. God doesn't want me to have an okay life and apparently not even a good life. He wants me to have a better life. Why? Because he's so gracious and he wants me to recognize that everything that you have good in your life came from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That's the verse we started with. Everything. The Christian life. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is God making a good life the best life through Jesus Christ. And yet being saved doesn't free you from bad things happening, does it? It just doesn't. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. It'd be awesome if it did. It'd be great. If we accepted Christ as our Savior, bam, the miracle of the moment, he took our choice of will away, and we no longer had sin, Russ. That'd be awesome. You'd no longer have to be mean to me. You could be nice to me on occasion. It'd be awesome. That'd be great. Chris, same thing. <laughs> you could be 20, not going to happen. Okay. Would to God that happen. Just take his will, Lord. But, but, but think about it. We'd never say anything bad. We'd never think anything bad. We'd never be down because we'd have no regrets. If God did that, if God just said, you cannot sin anymore, boom, you're gone. Translated already to me and, and you're living this life and it's the best life now. Because you don't have any problems. Well, that just doesn't how it works. We live in a fallen world. Being saved doesn't free us from bad things happening. In fact, if you've encountered or experienced bad things in your life, whether it's because of sin or perhaps for no good reason that you can think of, listen to me very carefully. Only God, only a good God could make something like that good in the bigger picture. Only God can do that. We know it in fact. Romans 8:28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We know that. Paul says, "We know that." It's almost like he's saying in the in the letter to Rome, "We know that. Do you? We know 
that all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you know that? Because some of us just want the good life rather than the better life. And we're settling for far less because we cannot believe at certain times that God is that good. We actually, as Paul said, we fail of the grace of God when we decide, man, I, I, why is all this happening? It's not fair. I'm overwhelmed. Whatever the language is, the Bible says the grace of God abounds more and more. And we're sin about it there to grace much more about it. And that God is able to make all grace abound toward you in all things that ye, having all sufficiency, might abound in every good work. James 1 and verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. How is that even possible? Well, it's impossible without God. And it's impossible without the grace of God. But he says, knowing this. Again, it's like James and Paul are writing synoptically and saying, We know this, do you? Knowing this, that the trying of your heart worketh patience. Oh, we hate that word. We hate it so bad we created a microwave that has a popcorn button. We can't even press 300 start. We just want to press popcorn. And then we can't believe that it's taking that long to make. What's taking so long? You ever, uh, you get the microwaves that have like the leftover button? Say, okay, I want to I want to reheat. And then it asks you like 14 questions. Dude, I just want to reheat my dinner for lunch. Well, what kind of, it's like six choices. Is it this? Is it this? Press one if it's this. Scroll by. Press two if it's this. Scroll by. And it's neither one of those. Press three if it's this. Scroll by. I'm thinking, I could have already been eating. Right? Why? Because we don't like patience, do we? The word patience there means to bear under. It's, it's okay, I have this load, whether it's self-imposed or not. I have this load, and I'm going through this. But the Bible says that the reason that we're going to it, we can count it all joy, because God wants to use it in our life. He wants there to be a result. He wants you to be able to say, God, you are so good. God, I don't feel like I can take this burden any longer. God, I don't see a way out. God, I don't see any light. God, I can't take this weight any longer. And he says, yes, you can, because I am faithful and I want, I will not try you above that you are able, but I will also with that trial make a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Just trust me. And the patience that comes does what? It makes my life better. The Bible says, but let patience have her perfect work. Let it go all the way to the end. Why? So that I can stand on the other side with experience now and say, God is gracious and God is faithful. And I have a great life because I have a great God. Hallelujah. Counting our blessings has to do with even counting the bad stuff. Because God lets it happen. It takes a good God to make all things in a good life better, doesn't it? And he does that by making us better through bad experiences. That's one reason why there's always to be something thankful for. God, I don't understand all this, but I know this. You're good, and I want to thank you for it. You know what, God? I just have to believe that if, if, if I'm put in a situation that is not the best, at least in my own determination... 
that when I can humbly be grateful to God for it and trusting that he knows all things and that he is with me in all things and that he sees the bigger picture, do you know what I believe he does? I believe that he manifests his presence in some way in our life. Say, how do you know that? Well, let's just pick one. How about Joseph? Sold to make a profit by his brothers. Wrongly incarcerated. And yet the Bible says this about Joseph at least twice. God was with him. What happened to Joseph's life? Oh, became like the most important person in Egypt ever. How? Because the Bible says that he had favor with everybody that he worked for. Wait, hold on. You said favor? Yeah. You know what that means? Grace. That's how gracious God is. Joseph accepted his life's troubles through a good God. And God worked it all out. And by the way, he got all the glory. It takes a good God to make us better. There's always something to be thankful for. So let's think about this big picture. Pull up with me for just a minute. God's not only given us life, he's given us a blessed life, a really good life. Thirdly, he's only given you one of them. You only have one life. Now, I know there are some people on this planet who believe that after this life, you get another go around in the form of another creature or life, life form. And that cycle continues and continues until somehow you figure out how to live. <laughs> who or what decides that, by the way, can't be told. This is a false reality. There are others who believe that nothing happens after this life. They would agree that you only have one life to live, so you better do all the living that you can. But at the end of your breath, there is nothing. This is also a false reality. Because the Bible says, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now listen, because of that, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. See, we always start, we always stop at the judgment, but because judgment is coming, Christ died. And yet the reality is, everyone's going to live somewhere, forever. When a person dies, they either go to heaven or they go to hell. Either way, they're going to live forever, but they will give an account of their life to the one true God who gave it to them. And the account given will be the sum total of what a person has done with and for Jesus Christ. We only have one life to live. So let me give you two thoughts before we go and we're done. What we do with it really matters. What you and I do with the one life that God's given. You remember the life that God created fearfully and wonderfully? Remember the God that created with all the senses, if they're all working right, all the amazing things that go on. They say that there are so many so many um, uh, 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 electrical impulses in your mind, to count them would take 3,000 years. Okay? Now, that being said, God says, look, as amazing as you are as a creature, by the way, a little lower than angels, as amazing as that is, as unique as you are, what you do with it matters. What you do with the senses, you know, what you look at, what you do with your hands, where you go with your feet, what you smell, all the things that you do 
with the life that I've given you and all the things that I have blessed you with, how you use your life matters to me. Why? Because I'm the one that gave it to you. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That is to tell the truth, to agree with what God already knows. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, what does that mean? What I do with Jesus Christ matters. What I do with his death, burial, and resurrection for me matters. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the son of God. What I do with Jesus Christ. Do I accept him as my savior? Do I confess? Yes, Lord, today, before I die, before the judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Do I say, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that I deserve to go to hell. But I also believe that you died for me, that you rose again. And if I trust in you that you'd save me, I believe. Here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest, thou mayest. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And they both went down into the water and they both came out. What I do with Jesus matters. What I do with my life after I'm forgiven of my sin and God takes up residence in me also matters. See, the big picture normally for some Christians in the 21st century is settled with this. I've trusted Christ as my savior. What's the deal? And they live their life as if the day they stand before God, that will be the sum total of their life's accounting is that I'm here. I got saved. Aren't you lucky? No. It goes far beyond that. Because the Bible says what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Which is in you, which ye have of God. Ye are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, in light of, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Which are God's or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance? Long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You see, there's a reason that God's so good is because his goodness is supposed to guide us in everything that we do. See that that to me, I got to be honest with you. That's what makes Thanksgiving so special to me is that God makes my life so much more real makes every decision that I make for me and my family so much more real. Because I know that what I do with my life actually matters. And it doesn't matter what I do for a living that matters. It's what I do for Christ that matters. So many people have it so flipped over that they get their identity and they think that that, that, that their their whole life is wrapped up in some kind of physical goal achievement and god said no your whole life should be wrapped up in the fact that i'm so good and gracious that i gave you my only begotten son and i gave you the ministry of reconciliation and i gave you the the glorious gospel and i give you an opportunity to glorify me that's what thanksgiving is all about i can't get to the mode where i'm living for god 
until I'm in the mode of being grateful for all that God has done for me. How many would believe that this morning? The fact of the matter is, what we do with our life matters, which means, secondly, how we view our life matters. The most natural thing to do as human beings is to take control of our own life and to live it the way we want to live it. To have what I want, to go where I want to go, and to go when, and to ultimately do it all for myself. That's natural. The good part about our great God is this, knowing where we will end up after we do all that we want is what prompted him to send Jesus. <laughs> because there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Isn't it interesting? There is a way that seemeth right unto the man. And yet Jesus said, I'm the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no man cometh unto the father, but by me. So you have a choice. Yet again, God says, I'm going to reveal to you the greatest power that you have. Your will to choose. Are you going to go your way? Or are you going to go the way that I saved you to go? Are you going to take your life back into possession? Or are you going to follow me? In order to provide me a home in heaven and a better life now, Jesus died and rose again from the grave. Which means the best life that you can live right now is a life of humility and gratitude and service. That's the that's the best life. Remember the disciples, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? I'll, I'm obviously going to be. My name's Peter. Duh. James and John were like, you have no idea. James and John, we've been going to the gym. We're the sons of thunder. We're going to mess you up, Peter. And the other ones heard them all arguing about it. And they're like, we're going to beat all of y'all. You guys are out of your mind. And they didn't tell anybody outside of that circle. Jesus said, how come you're reasoning in your hearts who's going to be the greatest? Peter and John rolled their sleeves back down. He goes, Here, here's what I want you to do. He brings a little child into their midst. He said, if you can't be like this, it doesn't matter. If you can't be helpful, helpless, if you can't believe me that simply, and you can't be a servant to all, it doesn't even matter. Now, by the way, they never got that until later, which is kind of like us. They never got it until later. But here's what I'm so impressed with. At least they got it. At least they came to a point in their life when they were like, you know, Lord, this is not my life. Peter went fishing. And God said, do you love me or not? It's obvious that Peter changed his love, isn't it? John, the beloved, is the one that Jesus loved. He had a special relationship with him. Why? By choice, not by birth. These guys were rough and tumble, foul-mouthed fishermen. What happened? One day they met Jesus Christ, and Jesus said to Peter, you know what, you catch a lot of fish, but one day you're going to catch a lot of men. Changed everything. How we view our life and all that we have in it matters to God. Does it matter to us? Because all we have comes from him. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things. Isn't that so hard? Giving thanks always. Man, that's hard. Because when I'm sitting at the stoplight and the yoke in front of me, Everybody else is gone, had been gone for like 15 seconds, and they're just in some conversation or playing a game or I don't even know what they're doing, and the light turns yellow. I don't want to be thankful for that. What I want to do is there's a thing in the middle of the steering wheel 
And I want to get Brother Hubbard to install one in my truck like he has in his truck. So when I honk, it sounds like the Amtrak is going to land on top of them. (laughs) I do. I love, God, please forgive me for this. I love when people are doing that and I honk and they go, (laughs) boom, you know, and you see the car, boom, leap off, right? What I don't like is when they do that, boom, and I get stuck at the red light still. And they just go through and I'm like, <laughs> I just go, you know, God, please forgive me. <laughs> Deep in our hearts, we believe in a good God. And the devil doesn't want that to happen. Deep in our hearts, we believe in a good God. Deep down in there, we do. Yet how shallow is our understanding of his goodness, especially since we see many things that seem to deny that God is good on a daily basis. Some of you may know the name Corey Ten Boom from The Hiding Place. She clarified how good God was when she wrote this, and I quote, Often I've heard people say how good God is. We prayed that it would not rain for our church picnic, and look, we have lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in a German concentration camp. She said, I remember on one occasion in the concentration camp when I was very discouraged. Everything around was dark. And there was darkness in my heart. She said, I remember looking at my sister and telling Betsy that I thought God had forgotten us. Betsy said, no, Corey. No, he has not forgotten us. Remember what he said. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Corey would later write, and I quote, There's an ocean of God's love available. There's plenty for everyone. She said, May God grant you never to doubt the victorious love that he has for you, whatever the circumstances. You know, God has given us an amazing life. And he's given us a good life. But we only have one. What we do with it really matters. What we do with it, in my opinion, boils down to one thing, our gratitude for all that God has done. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, We want to say thank you. Thank you so much for the life that you have blessed us with. We thank you for being so good and so gracious as we did to start this church service. We thank you for all of the amazing blessings of having a body that works. God, I could have spent the rest of the hour just talking about how amazing our eyeballs are and what they do. And if we can see this morning... What a gift. What amazing creatures you have made us, Lord, as humans. What amazing grace you have given to us as humans who are sinners. And God, for that, we're grateful.
Thank you for the precious life that you've given to us. Lord, beginning today, I pray that there would not be an ungrateful heart that walks out of this room. Lord, I, I pray that this altar here in the front of this church today would be an altar of thanksgiving. An altar where we come, an altar where we commune with the Holy Spirit of God before our church family, and an altar that expresses our gratitude to the Most High God. That in the church, there would be glory of Christ. That in the church, there would be a heart of gratitude. So that when we leave the church, there would be heart of humility and gratitude and service. Lord, I've lifted you up today. And I, 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 want, I want your people to trust in a good God. Because deep down in our hearts, we believe in a good one. But there's so much that happens on a daily and weekly basis around us that try to steal that hope. Today, I pray that it's been restored. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to have Jenna to begin to play. W would you stand with me, please, just for a moment of invitation? I, I hesitated to do this, but I feel like the Lord wants me to. I, I'm going to open up this altar this morning, and I want to... I want to just invite you to make it an altar of thanksgiving. You may want to come down here with your spouse. You may want to come by yourself because you just need to pray first with the Lord and, and really just offer your thanksgiving to the Lord. Maybe it's been a while since you've taken such an inventory of your life. And maybe today is the day where you could just push that reset button of gratitude before we go into the next couple of weeks, really in the next five weeks before Christmas and looking actually at what God has given to us and how we use those gifts, would you begin today just by saying, Lord, I just want to thank you. Would you just, would you just take the time this morning? The altar is open. If you need to come, we'll leave it open just for a minute or two. Let's just take some time this morning before God. Though none go with me, Lord, I'll follow you because I know you're so good. God, you've given me a spouse. You've given me a place to live. You've given me children. You've given me grandchildren. You saved me. Let's just start at the cross and go forward. Where would your life be today without the blood of Jesus Christ? Where would it be? What have I done with Jesus since? Still I will follow. If the whole world forsakes the truth of God, would you continue to say that God is so good that you have such a blessed life because it is true.